Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Welcome to Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition here on uh, Ghost Con Chronicles Patreon and Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. I'm Lou Blasi. Ron's not with us today, but our favorite colonist is Steve Parsons. How are you doing? I'm all good. I'm just being blown away here by the iPad. I've just discovered a new feature as I'm moving <laughs> left to right. The iPad doesn't Oh, is it, it's following you, it's yeah. Cracking me. <laughs> it's spooky. Yeah, we've got a brand new setup today because we had to uh, arrange things quickly when Ron... Uh, Ron went down. He's got he re-injured his back a little bit. So Steve's taking over for today. Yeah. Stuck in the beach house. He's over the road, flattened his back. Stuck on the beach house. Jeez. Could get could get worse, couldn't it? It could be a lot worse. I'm just uh, but I'm at the point now where, you know, I'm flying home tomorrow to the UK and uh most I've started the packing and you know, you get into that sort of final 24 hours. And you you kind of want to be back home. Yeah. Yeah, you miss home, right? Yeah, you do. Yeah, all the excitement you you get you kind of working on adrenaline and you're working through spirit quests and all the events that you did while you were over here. And uh, you know, it gets down to the end and things start to wind down and go, Yeah, I kind of wish I was home right now. Yeah, your body goes into that mode. But I've still got one more event to do tonight at Andover for the historical society. Oh, I see. Okay. So is that a what kind of event? Tell us about the event. Uh, <clears throat> It's a talk at the Andover Historical Society starts at seven tonight. I have no idea if there are any tickets or how you get in touch with them because that's Ron's business, that's Ron's job. Yeah. Um, but you know, get in touch with them. Um, it's a talk about the history of spiritualism and ghost hunting, both in the UK and over here in the USA. Okay, I'm interested. We get another subject we're going to get into, but you've you've touched on something interesting to me, and I want to hear because. I like your viewpoint on things. So define spiritualism in your terms for me. And by the way, go to uh, uh, email Ron at newenglandghostprojects at comcast.net or uh, newenglandghostproject.com if you want to find information on that event and other events coming up. So define spirituality for for this talk. Okay. For, this, for the purposes tonight, I'm dealing specifically with the, re the religion that we refer to as spiritualism, which was began um, or can trace its roots back to 1848 in Hydesville, New York, with the Fox sisters and their rapping and tapping. They, the, the sisters discovered that there was or appeared to be uh, some, some uh, spirit that lived or was in their property, and they, they came up with a method of uh, communicating with it, one tap for yes, two for no, etc., and they determined that it was the spirit of a peddler who had uh, come to the property and had been killed or murdered at the property. Oh. And uh, that they were then taken off uh, to Rochester and then on to New York City, uh, showing their skills at communicating um, with the with the spirits. Around that time, there had been. Um, earlier attempts and there were there was already an interest in uh, spiritism spiritism is the belief that 
we survive. Some aspect of us survives death. Mm-hmm. From those roots, um, you you get the religion very quickly. Uh, spiritualist churches begin to uh, gatherings begin to uh, spring up, and from the home parlors where people would uh, assemble and tip tables and uh, try and communicate themselves with the spirits you have organized groups starting to come together in halls and um, that leads to spiritualism which is a quasi mixture of christianity and um, so it's got bible teaching it has hymns it has many aspects of that but it makes a big uh, emphasis on um, the parts of the the bible teaching were when you when we pass over we go to another place that's been prepared for us and where we meet all of the people that have um, gone before us but and that's very like christianity of course yeah. but they can communicate with the living and pass messages back to the living through mediumship and um so that that's it. it it's it's kind of a branch really of spiritualism of uh, christianity in in recent uh, in the 20th century it evolved a little bit to be more encompassing of other faiths as well so it broadened it broadened out a little bit how did uh, uh, how did christianity or more mainstream faiths did they embrace these these teachings and these feelings or did they resist them well they can't they can't really resist them too much because they're so like their own mm-hmm. this idea you know is as christ says in the bible that i i have gone before you and i will prepare a place for you and um so it's it's there are some um religious uh ministers who explore spiritualism and acknowledge aspects of spiritualism but of course, if you have a competing church, mm-hmm. so you don't want to big it up too much because then everybody will, or your congregation will disappear. Right. Um, but I mean, I know I know people who are, you know, um, every Sunday they go to uh, the church mm-hmm. and then on a Monday or a Tuesday, they go to the spiritualist church. So there's, there's no... Um, real friction between the two the two can exist i'll only speak for catholicism because i was raised that way so i can't speak about much other christianity but they generally don't like you working their side of the street all that much funnily enough uh so in the uk i found that um catholic priests are much more open to the idea of spirits um than anglican uh the church of england Mm -hmm. when when you um speak with them they will acknowledge this idea of good and evil uh, devils and ghosts um, and and of course both both churches the anglican and the catholic have their forms of exorcism or deliverance ministries um, but i've i've found that the anglicans can be a little bit more closed-minded i remember talking to an anglican priest about the, the church that he, uh, he was the incumbent of and which had a notable reputation for its ghost. And um, he said to me that uh, there are no ghosts here. When the dead are buried, they're in consecrated ground and they stay there. 
they don't come back and they don't haunt. Now, I've spoken to Catholic uh, priests who, who have a, a much more, I mean, there are individual differences, but the Catholics generally are much more open to the possibility. Oh, that's funny. I've never, never heard the Catholics described as open, but, <laughs> but uh, I was going to ask you if there's a definite, if there's a distinction between spirits and ghosts. In other words, ghosts are manifestations of spirit, whereas you could do mediumship, you could speak with spirit without having a manifestation like a, a ghost appearing in front of you. Well, my favorite answer is always we can't define a ghost. Yeah. Um, so spirits are we do have some definitions for and they are the non-corporeal returning um elements of our consciousness mm -hmm. uh now they spirits may or may not manifest so that this is where you get them intertwined with ghosts some people say that a ghost is a returning spirit um, but there is um a better dis uh, distinction or definition of spirits than there are ghosts because um you know one of the i think the oxford english dictionary defines as ghost a ghost as the apparition um of someone known to be deceased but that falls apart because there are ghost airplanes and there are ghost buses and there are ghost buildings and we've talked about this several times on the show. There's also the distinction between spirits and ghosts who are present. In other words, they interact as opposed to ghosts. And I don't know if spirits fall in this definition or not, where it's just basically like a recording. Oftentimes you walk into something, you walk into a scene. I know Gettysburg is kind of famous for this. They talk about this a lot where you just walk into the room of a, of a, uh, a triage company or something like that sometimes and get those impressions they're not interacting with you and they're not in real time it's almost like kind of a recording of this of this entity well they wouldn't be spirits they wouldn't come under the definition of spirits yeah. because they're not, they're non um intelligent they right. don't they don't have any form of consciousness and um, they they would be classified as ghosts but they could also come under the classification of time slip events uh, because there are a lot of these phenomena that rather than have them pigeonholed as individual phenomena, it might be better that we start thinking of them as a continuum um, where they are different aspects of the continuum. The word, uh, people often refer to poltergeists as uh, a separate phenomena to ghosts. Mm -hmm. But in poltergeist cases, you have people... Uh, having apparitional experiences and in haunting uh, phenomena, you have things like object movement. Uh, so I think it's more of a, a continuum than individual phenomena. A continuum being a wide, broadband definition of, of these yeah. type of phenomena. Uh, yeah. I think you know because I, I, and it's the same with um, some of the some of the classifications spiritual spirits that don't interact. Um, or ghosts that don't interact, which are sometimes called recording ghosts or playback ghosts. Right. We don't know that any we don't have any mechanism by which that uh, these recordings can be made or indeed played back. But they exhibit many of the um, uh, similar um, experiential components of people who say i had a time slip experience yeah 
Well, time slip is the key one, and it's only taken us 12 minutes to get into quantum physics. But that's, <laughs> uh, the time slip always one is always fascinating for me because uh, the first thing you have to do is let go of, of uh, time as a freight train or as a straight line and look at it as I was, it was always described to me as if you remember ribbon candy being wrapped back on itself and things like that, where there are points where it's closer to each other than others. And there is scientific basis for some of this in oh, quantum absolutely. physics. Absolutely. Yeah. So these, uh, I guess what we'd have to do is try to figure out how those time slips occur and how to identify them or take advantage of them or, you know, pull them out. Why, why they occur, why the veil is so thin at particular points and times and almost constantly, because we get, again, Gettysburg is a prime example. We get stories about yeah. this all the time. Well, I think HG Wells, uh, his time machine book and later the, uh, the movie, I think describe it or, or, portray it well because the time machine never moves right the time machine exists in one one place but time moves around the machine and time uh, as we understand it is of course a human construct we we impose time on everything that we do and if we if we take something as easy as eastern time um <laughs> really yeah yeah, I mean, it's five hours different than, than uh, Greenwich Mean Time or UK time. But even, even a country as small as the UK, Greenwich Mean Time is set at the zero meridian, which runs through Greenwich, London. Now, I live about 200 miles to the west of London, and the sun sets 20 minutes later. Yep. Uh, and so, of course, when, they're all, when Big Ben strikes 12 or when the, the ball drops in New York City, Unless you are on that meridian line, your time, your real time, um, is different. Yeah. Because we live, you know, course, you know, most of us accept that we live on the ball. Yeah, it, it, it's all fascinating. We, yeah, I mean, time is something that we've constructed. We we ended up with what was called, uh, well, mean time became uh, was derived from railway time because trains would leave at the, using the local uh, time and that caused endless amounts of confusion as the railways railroads spread out across the country people would would miss trains they would arrive at the, the wrong times um, compared to the published times um, well, so we had to keep these these time zones time, and time, comes, is, time as a construct here is demonstrated on a biannual basis when we switch our clocks forward or back here or when you're trying to communicate with when we're trying to communicate with you five hours ahead or on the yeah. west coast three hours behind it's like you get a really clear view of how time is a human construct and less of a less of a natural construct and it goes really uh, mad at the poles and of course at the international dateline because there's somewhere at way way out in the pacific um there is the the plus 12 minus 12 dateline where you can be in two time zones at the same two different days of, in, at the same time and of course if you go to one of the poles and uh, stand on actually on the pole you can spin through 12 time zones in one revolution right so um, it, it's just how we divide the um, our understanding of each each sort of rotation each day do you, just to continue to play with the concept for a minute or two, when we're looking at a time slip, 
do you believe we're looking at a time slip within our own universe? Or do you take the quantum physics view where there are multiple universes <coughs> and things happening all the time? Or do we do both? I think we do both. Um, and I don't think that there is any reason why our, our consciousness can't do both. Because um, if, we, if we accept that physics has mathematically demonstrated the existence of um, what they call the multiverse, I think, I think if I'm correct, that they have mathematically demonstrated 11 dimensions. Now we can't conceive of these um, it is impossible. Our brains are hardwired yeah. um, to four dimensions. We always forget time as being a dimension. Um, so we're, we're hardwired, and um, we we even even the world's cleverest physicists cannot themselves conceive of what a fifth or sixth or seventh dimension would be like or feel like or how it would in fact interact with us. You know, they describe it, and some religions describe it, like the layers of an onion. Yeah. Uh, and, and but that's not necessarily the case. In fact, that won't be the case. Um, we, we cannot conceive of it, we cannot really describe it. And we don't, because of that, we wouldn't recognize if we were interacting with another dimension. You know, it's if I if we change time as 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 Wells did, um, and I remain where I am, I could see a, t a Tyrannosaurus Rex. I could see far into the future, but would I? I would recognise the visual signals from the past because we we've we have enough remnants. But would we recognise what the future looked like? And would how would we even know? what a if we were interacting with a fifth dimension right we we might do regularly uh, some people have, have postulated that that happens in our dream work in our dream states or when we are um you know when 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 we have altered states of consciousness but we just don't know which brings us to, and as we finish this up, and I'm always interested, I'd always be interested to hear the, your thoughts on this because this is something, and I'm an, a, a rank amateur at this, so I only have a, the slightest grasp on the concepts, but quantum entanglement is something that fascinates oh. me. And it's the basis for a lot of this. And if, well, it is true, I mean, they've demonstrated that, that it does exist, but it opens the door for a lot of things like remote viewing, like connections between two people, different parts away what's your overall grasp on quantum entanglement and how it works into everything we deal with here in the paranormal on a day-to-day -day basis well if a physicist ever tells you that they understand or comprehends quantum mechanics and quantum entanglement they're lying yeah uh, you know they they don't we don't um and that the reason we don't is but what i said let before. me do the we distinction can't. let me get the distinction in here though they don't understand it but they know it exists they've proven that it exists yeah. Well, they've proven it mathematically, and they've also done experiments. Um, there are some, there are some really baffling experiments, or yeah. where the results are baffling. For example, um, when they were trying to image the electron, one of those components of the cell nucleus. And, and let me try to set it up for people who aren't necessarily in, and you can tell me how good my grasp is on this. Quantum entanglement is they've demonstrated that there are uh, connections between parts of atoms nucleus protons neutrons that mm -hmm. are not connected physically that are often 
far, far away from each other, but they react in tandem. They they don't react in tandem. They, they react in um, complete harmony with one another. There is no delay. There is no lag. Yeah. So you affect uh, one electron someplace and possibly miles away, another electron acts the same. Well, it, it yeah. might be even more pure curious than that because when they were trying to image the electron because electrons are incredibly small um way beyond um uh, until very recently our technology in order to see actual atoms and the components of atoms um when they started to look at the components of atoms i'm talking about specifically the electron the proton and the neutron sometimes the electrons weren't there and sometimes they were, and um, they they still don't quite know. Well, they they've got a yeah. clue where they're going, but they're not there. Yeah. Sometimes they're there, and sometimes they're not there. Um, now, some scientists have speculated that the fact that they're not there might be uh, an indication that they're changing state or changing dimension, dimension shifting, and it might. Others have said suggested that this might be. Uh, um, a solution to the missing dark matter of the universe that it actually the dark matter is other dimension mm-hmm. matter um we, we they don't know is the short answer and we can there have been books written about it there have been endless scientific papers written about it there are certain things we do know um we know that electrons seem to jump in and out of our dimension now our dimension is defined by a band of electromagnetic frequencies and we we everything in our dimension has the same um electromagnetic frequency mm-hmm. at its core that's why a radio wave with a different um frequency can pass through a solid wall or window or car body but we can't and that's why we can't walk through walls, doors, or fall through floors. But interestingly, some apparitions and ghosts can, <laughs> or they're reported to. Um, so it would be more credible that they're dimension shifting. But then you end up with the other, well, if they, if they are dimension shifting by shifting frequency, and they can walk through a wall, why don't they just fall straight through the floor? Now, uh, electrons, these things that we're talking about are part of the physical universe. And this begs the question, do you think there's any element of our consciousness that is part of the physical universe? We've never been able to, no one's been able to define fully consciousness. In other words, would this be physical matter that is able to play in this realm of being able to be entangled to some degree? Well, I'm going to correct what you said right at the start. You said nobody's been able to um, define consciousness. Define. Yeah, you said, you said the word fully. Yeah. I would just cross yeah. out the word fully. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And you know, I know a lot of parapsychologists who are working on. In fact, most parapsychologists are working on understanding consciousness because they they are trying to find a paradigm um, to understand psi and its connections to because if you understand you know how consciousness works and they don't they still you know these results are challenging they're not understanding the results that they're getting um our understanding of consciousness again is speculative 
and is based upon a number of hypotheses, some of which, um, the majority of which are untested. So we don't, I mean, there are scientists who have looked at this, at the possibility that our brain is more like a CPU mm. uh, in the computer and that all, our, all of our memories and actions um, are, off, are off borders. You know, they're, they're, we reach into them as we need them, um, kind of like cloud memory. Right. Um, now, that's also supported by some of the religions. I mean, you have a number of religions that refer to uh, an Akashic record or, um, you know, some form of greater force that controls our actions and that we... we um, utilize and if you look at it you know uh, there are there are actions that we learn and there are actions that are reflexed who teaches a newborn baby to suck right you know but it just does you know how 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 do we know how to do certain things intuitively how does a baby giraffe know that it's got to stand up or it's going to get eaten right yeah so there are certain, you know, there are aspects, there are, 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 you know, aspects of our consciousness we are beginning to uh, try to get a grasp of, but that doesn't mean to say that we're understanding it or even what it is. Um, you know, it, it, I remember um, as a as a school kid um, picking up, uh, lying on the school playing fields and picking up a blade of grass plucking a blade of grass and we'd just done a lesson on atoms and molecules and such and i remember you know the the, the classic drawing of um the um proton and the neutron and the electron orbiting yep. around it like planets around a sun right and thinking what thinking what if um each of those little solar systems inside the blade of grass inside the atoms was we were just in a you know our solar system was one of them yeah all right you know our existence is you know kind of we might be inside a giant blade of grass yeah exactly and that's when it starts to blow your mind and that's where it starts to because we can't comprehend these things you know um even the new ages bless them um you know they come up with all manner of explanations some of which are pseudoscientific some of which uh, rely on quanta explanations. They're, they're speculative, often as much so as the scientists. It's going to be a while before we're able to quantify the consciousness to any degree. I know there are early measurements trying to measure the weight of the consciousness and things like that. But if we can put a physical element to our consciousness, it opens up all kinds of stories and all kinds of possibilities. And while you have these... Uh, a wild card behind the curtain dimensions out there consciousness could be a dimension one of those extra dimensions or whatever it could be, yeah. it could be. and yeah. what's what's um what's frustrating and we you know we we think that we are well versed in understanding our universe i know and we're not even up to our ankles we're not even well yeah. you know down in down in the cape uh nasa uh, we've got elon musk throwing rockets up like like July the 4th and NASA are about to send Artemis to the moon um, because we understand how gravity works. But you ask a scientist what gravity is 
and they will you know they'll tell you it's an attraction between this and they'll um, they'll they'll stretch rubber mats with metal book spheres and roll yeah. them round and but they don't actually understand what gravity you know we cannot define gravity but we can we can define we can demonstrate what gravity does because it acts upon fixed bodies now it may be that the, one of the fundamental forces is a dimensional fundamental force that we can't properly comprehend and it acts upon individuals and the well, way it acts is is variable well let's go right back to consciousness then because is there a quanti quantifiable element to gravity in other words does gravity exist in the physical plane uh gravity absolutely exists in the physical plane because we use it all of the time no i mean can you uh, break it down the components is there a molecular no. is there a molecular element to gravity it, it does it have no. a physical component much like I, the same question as our consciousness does it have a physical component no yeah um they so, don't they don't know it. and um like electromagnetic attraction they they don't know what that is either yeah. um, magnetism um, and gravity are two forces that we can utilize and that we can measure and we can quantify the amount of force that's being applied, the direction of the vector, uh, the direction of the force, but we don't know what's it the is. true cause of it. Yeah, what it is, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it might have a molecular component. It might, is, it might equally be, you know, it could be anything. It could be, you know, I mean, I know of uh, some people have speculated that uh, all of these forces, these fundamental forces, are there because, I mean, some people say because of God. Other people say because we create them. Um, and we go back to the, um, the we fix, it's Schrodinger's cat. Yep. We fix the state of our world by observing it and thereby um, the world as you, when you open the box and you look, you fix the state of it. When you look up and look out of a, a window, you are fixing the state of the world as you're seeing it. And what's uh, certainly intriguing is that some parapsychologists, and it's it's now universally accepted by parapsychologists that the brain can interact with the world around it on a smallish scale. It can control the the, the not controlled, but it can influence the the fall of dice or the flips of coins. Um, it's chaos theory, right? It's it's chaos theory, but with some degree of order imposed on it yeah. by the by those who are observing it. Observing changes the changes the thing and, you observe, and also fixing those changes. Yeah, oh, fascinating stuff. So we're. Mine we think we i love how we arrogantly walk around here thinking we know everything but we don't even know what we are we don't even know what our consciousness is we we, no, we don't we don't we haven't got the vaguest clue uh, you know thousands of years of hundreds of thousands of years of humans and all this study and we have no idea what consciousness is the very basis of our existence and we don't know uh and because of that we don't understand how consciousness may exist in other in other things as well i mean for example is the, is the table conscious at some at some level yeah we ascribe consciousness to things like plants you know people talk to plants and they believe that plants can can communicate with one another um 
but we we then remove consciousness from things like bugs. You know, we don't give them the credit. Uh, the the um, we don't acknowledge them to have consciousness, and that extends also to the law. You know, there are certain animals and, and creatures who aren't said to feel pain or have emotions. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So we hunt them and shoot them and fish them. Dogs don't have a soul. If you've ever owned a dog, you understand dogs have more soul than most people. But that's a whole nother story. But consciousness among plants, we're getting a great example of it here in New England. How do the leaves know how to turn? Is that consciousness? Well, it could be. Um, it, it has to be. be to an extent, doesn't it? Well, science, science says that it's due to the way that the temperature uh, sure. and the... Short, so shortening of the days and temperature drops and things like that. Yeah, a chemical process. Now it might it might be a chemical process, but then if you look at a human being, it is a chemical electrochemical process. Mm -hmm. well, you know, we function using um, you know we turn chemicals, uh, food into chemi into chemicals, which allow uh, nerves to generate electric pulses. So we are we are really not that much different than a no. plant. But what, um, what we have to understand, I think, and maybe you'll agree this is important. This has always been important for me in this whole mindfulness thing is we have to understand that our consciousness is separate from our body in terms of the body is the radio. It's it's the receiver. It's the, the mind is a machine. It's a CPU. But the consciousness is above that. But too often we swim in the mind as opposed to the consciousness. We don't understand that the separation exists. It could also, I, again, I would also extend that to say, as well as the mind being a radio receiver, it might also be a radio transmitter. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we are continually interacting, receiving, sending stuff back and forth to, and as some religions have said, this greater consciousness to which we all contribute, a hive mind. Well, the greater um, consciousness comes back to quantum entanglement, doesn't it? Or and then theoretically, we, it could. Then we end up in a sequel to The Matrix. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, we went a little deep here. I want to get to this part of it because I, I was telling you before the show, did a show with Roxy um, earlier this week, and she mentioned that you did this presentation on haunted planes during Spirit mm -hmm. Quest. And the reaction lit up. Everyone was interested in this. And it's all based on perhaps one of the most famous Twilight Zone episodes ever, which was the one with William Shatner and the gremlin on the planes. Uh, it's certainly one that comes up among favorites whenever you talk to people who are aficionados of the uh, Twilight Zone like I am. And so tell us a little bit about uh, tell us a little bit about your presentation. Let's get started on that from Spirit Quest. Well, the, the opening, the opening um, of my presentation is an extract from that episode with William Shatner peering out the window and the lightning striking the gremlin out on the, uh, because as a small boy, I, I was particularly attracted. I liked the twilight zone when I was allowed to stay to, uh, to, to watch some of the episodes. Yeah. But by the way, that still works. If you watch this episode, that scene where William Shatner is about to open the shade on the window and you know, what's out there. It is still terrifying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's still, and you've it was, seen it a hundred times. It's still terrifying. Yeah. And it was remade by Spielberg in the movie. Oh, really? Uh, you know, he when he made the movie The Twilight Zone, yeah. he, he incorporated a remake, a reworking of that scene because it is so iconic. Yeah, it's almost the scene that everybody remembers, and it was a relatively short, uh, short scene. Oh, it's a short scene, and the makeup is is has timed out. Obviously, the gremlin is laughable mm -hmm. if you as you look at it now, but still, it's terrifying. <laughs> that but, uh, that yeah, moment that, is so suspenseful. 
That's right. And, and based on World War II stories um, that uh, of these creatures called these gnome or elf-like creatures who climbed aboard the aeroplanes and interfered with you know, the wiring or the, the, the fuel system, um, you know, the gremlins. That's where the, uh, and of course, yeah. But um, based on that, I, you know, we, we were theming the, the talks on the Twilight Zone and using that was my entry into when, I, when, I, when it's not ghosts, it's aeroplanes with me, always has been uh, since a small boy. It's flip flop between one and the other. Um, if I'm not in a haunted house, I'm at the end of a runway. Um, you know, I'm no plane spotter. I don't write the numbers down, but it's just something fascinating about the technology of watching, you know, a hundred tons of screaming metal haul itself into the air. Oh, I agree. And we were talking about you're in, you're up in Salisbury now. I live on Plum Island, and we watch the military jets coming in and out of Pease, and you have these behemoth machines that are yeah. just seemingly hanging there in the air. You know, and well, it's com just... coming over from the UK this time, I got to um, previously it used to be the Queen of the Skies, the seven four seven. And uh, then as they got retired, we went back to the twin engine, triple seven. But because of, uh, as demand is, is ramping up, um, they, British Airways have brought its uh, giant Airbus yeah. A380s out of retirement. And um, <laughs> it is vast. That's comforting, you know, isn't it? They're bringing planes out of retirement. <laughs> it, this thing is vast. Yeah. You know, you don't get the real scale of it from the outside because you, you're very close to it and you're level with the, you know, for when you're in the terminal. Um, and you never actually see the outside of it up close because you, you enter it by these walkways. But inside of the beast, it's much wider. And then you realize that there's another deck above you. Yeah. And I, I had a, a quick run up the stairs and, you know, it's like it's like two 747s stacked one on top of the other. I know, and it I, seems like humans shouldn't be flying anything this big. Well, it's not the biggest in the sky, you yeah. know. Uh, I know, yeah. You've got the C5 and you've got the Russian one. Um, well, you did have until the Russians uh, destroyed it because it was in Kiev. I, I have to take exception with you on that, too, because I went through Heathrow Heathrow earlier in the year and ran across one of those at, at a gate and it literally stopped me. I was running, trying to catch a flight on the other side of Heathrow, which is miles away, but it's a whole nother story. But just the, the sight of this plane just sitting there and the size of it was just daunting. It was amazing. It's, it's even more, um, for me, it's kind of, uh, when you see it alongside a 737, a plane that we do understand, um, or we can sort of get a grasp of, and when, when the two of them are parked side by side, um we were we were on the lower deck um and there was a 737 alongside us and it was you don't normally expect to look down onto you know a full-size passenger jet from another one right <laughs> it was it was a big behemoth yeah. so back to the talk um i looked at um combining because we've got uh, there isn't an airfield aerodrome or air station in the uk um probably true over here um that doesn't have a ghost story you know it's often been said that the uk uh, in world war ii was nothing more than a, a big aircraft carrier moored off the yeah. shores of fortress europe fair enough and yeah. between between the american u.s army air forces and the royal air force um, there were tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of uh, airmen tens of thousands of aircraft 
many of which came back, um, you know, after suffering trauma, injury, or didn't come back at all, uh, with the loss of, depending on the, you know, between one and eight or nine individuals on board. Right. And there are, I don't know of a single aerodrome um, that existed in World War II that doesn't have a ghost story attached to it. And so I, uh, I thought, well, I, I can't just do ghost aerodromes. That would be boring because you know many of them are just haunted them um, and coming back to the control tower after they crashed on the airfield or didn't come back, or aircraft um, you know coming back, um, the, the crews coming back after a mission. Yep. Um, but there are haunt, there are sightings of haunted aircraft returning. Um, there's uh, several notable RAF airfield aerodromes in, in Britain where aircraft are said to still come back after, you know, there's a, there's a Lancaster, four-engine Lancaster bomber that, that arrives back uh, at RAF Scampton and lands and taxis in and then disappears. On a repeated uh, basis? It's been, it's been noted several times mm-hmm. um, by reliable military people. You know, these are people who don't, you know, they, there isn't a, 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 you know, a habit of making things up. Plus, there is a chain of command that, that actively um, suppress dis- oh, but dissuade you yeah. from, from reporting ghosts. Um, so the, in, in museums, there's, there's uh, at least one in America, there's one in the UK that have haunted bombers where... The aircraft has served during, uh, served operationally during um, World War Two, and there is some something of the crew. Um, I don't mean physically, but some elements of the crew still going through their actions. Um, in the case of the one at RAF Cosford, you hear you hear switches being thrown and panels being as if the aircraft is being prepared for flight. Yeah. Um, the one in the USA, the B-29, which uh, is actually a mixture of three B-29s rescued from the um, Arizona desert and then joined together to make one for the museum. Uh, So three operational aircraft. That's why they have trouble deciding which one of the three is the haunted bit. Um, The radios, uh, there is the sound of Morse code and radio chatter and switches being thrown in uh, and in actual fact, in the case of the American one, there's no radios fitted to it at all. Um, and yet, people have, and they've, uh, people driving past uh, the museum have reported lights on inside the aircraft and people moving about. <laughs> I mean, it could be something as simple as museum volunteers, but at the time, um, the museum were absolutely certain that there was nobody in or around the aircraft. So for this museum, they put together three the, the bodies of yeah. three B-29s? They took the wings off one, the forward fuselage off another, and the rear fuselage and tail off a third in order to... Um, well, when they were parked out in the desert, they were then used as targets. So um, they, they had trouble finding a, a complete one. Sure. Obviously, there is a you know a two flying complete ones. I, uh, I think it's two, but they, these are you know just static museum exhibits. Can you visit the graveyard? I know there's a, a mil- there is at least one military graveyard of planes. Oh, absolutely! You can. I mean, these came from China Lake, yep. which is a weapons testing area. You're not allowed anywhere near it because obviously they're dropping live munitions on on these things. Yeah. Uh, but 
uh, out in the Arizona desert is the Davis Montham Air Force Base, the Boneyard, the famous Boneyard. Yeah, right. Um, where the U.S. armed forces store all of the uh, retired airframes, yeah. mm-hmm. but some of them get chopped up and recycled into drinks cans. Um, others, uh, there's one now flying on detachment uh, in the UK. There's a B-52 just arrived in the UK um, for a four-week detachment after spending six years in the um, desert baking in the sun. Then it was brought brought back into you know back into service because they're properly covered up and protected. Yeah, um, and so. Um, it's not just a, um, it's a storage and recycling facility. Some end up as cola cans, others end up back in service. A lot of them end up getting sold. And I think more than a few of them have ended up in the uh, in Eastern Europe lately. So how do you reconcile or how do you deal with the fact that a lot of ghost stories, and again, we've cited Gettysburg a couple of times, so obviously World War II and these military aircrafts, uh, does high emotion or does high activity on that level leave an imprint? In other words, why? I was going to ask you about commercial airliners and whether there are any ghosts on commercial airliners. You just cited a bunch of military things. All make sense to us because that's a, that's high intensity. Military aircraft is a high intensity situation most of the time. So we accept why ghosts would stay there. What's your take on the emotional component of why a ghost would stay with a particular aircraft or uh, at a particular airbase? I, I don't I can only cite hypotheses because we don't we don't know is yeah. the short answer. The long answer is there are many people who speculate that trauma is more likely to cause a ghost to occur. And I say occur rather than appear um, because uh, ghostly phenomena um, we associate them with battle sites with events of a highly emotional or or traumatic nature, such as uh, in the case of a civilian airliner um, or a a group of civilian airliners, notably L-1011s. There was an Eastern Airlines Flight 401 down to um, Miami. They had problems. uh, Flight was entirely normal, very, very um, professional crew. When they lowered the landing gear, one of the um, green lights didn't come on um, to indicate the gear was all down. Mm-hmm. Um, the crew got so engrossed into that that they didn't notice that the plane was continuing to slowly descend, and the thing ended up hitting the hitting the Florida Everglades mm. and killing all aboard. Now, some of the parts from that aircraft were then salvaged and recycled into other L-1011s. And along with the components came the um, pilot and the flight engineer. Uh, Loft and Repo were their names, and they appeared as apparitions on other L-1011s, warning of impending problems, like there was a fire in the galley. And um, the engineer appeared to one of the cabin attendants and said, you better, you know, there's going to be a fire, turn it off. And they turned it off. Um, so in that case, the aircraft would, you know, they are described as being haunted. Oh, um, but the ghosts there seem to be associated with the components of a crashed aircraft that have been, you know, re- repurposed back in, salvaged and reused back in. Um, so, you know, 
are on on normal um, serviceable planes again. What I find so, interesting about that story, however, is that the passengers on that plane, because it was a slow descent that ended up in the Everglades, the passengers on the plane were probably <coughs> not panicked. But no, they weren't. The flight, there isn't it. the flight crew could have very definitely be panicked, especially at the end. So it's interesting that the apparitions that come back are flight crew as opposed to passengers. Well, the, the cockpit voice recorder really only, re <coughs> excuse me, only re records because the descent was really very subtle. Um, the crew were almost completely unaware it's about like a second or two. Right. Uh, but there is an interesting analog to awareness because um, I, forgive me, I don't know the, the dates off the top of my head. It was an air transat uh, flight from uh, Canada to Europe. Uh, and they'd, they'd miscalculated the fuel load on this, on this aircraft. So mid-Atlantic, both the engines ran out of fuel. And they were at 39,000 feet and both the engines just, that's it, no, 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 no more engines. Right. Um, they were about 100 miles from the Azores when this happened. And by very careful uh, calculations, they were able to uh, glide this enormous aircraft to a safe landing in the Azores. God. But throughout the flight, the passengers were informed that almost certainly this thing was going to end up in the water. And, you know, that famous, you know, in the unlikely event, you reach under and you put the life jacket over your head and pull the cord and <laughs> yeah. all that. So they'd gone through all of this. And let's be honest, if your plane's going to go down in the middle of the Atlantic, in the middle of the night, you are going to strongly believe that you're not going to make it. Right. And back home in Switzerland at the same time this was taking place, uh, there was a, the mother and father of one of the passengers aboard the aircraft. Now, the time the passenger was writing a farewell note to his parents in case he didn't make it, fully believing he wasn't going to make it. Right. He was writing this note, then he was going to seal it in a bag and attach it to his body um, so that they would find this note. Uh, his mother woke up at almost the exact moment when they compared times later um, to, to see him standing at the bottom of the bed, the foot of the bed, and then turning around and leaving the room. And she, uh, her husband, she woke her husband and said, our son is dead. He's just, you know, I've got this strong, overwhelming feeling that he's died, you know, and he's just, this isn't going to be. And then they got news that the plane was actually safe in the Azores. Right. But, but, but the passengers all believed that they were going to die. You know, they had convinced themselves that this was going to be, you know, their number was up. Um, and it was interesting that on at least, at least one of them appeared um, that we have a, you know, a record of. Which brings us to collective consciousness, which brings us to quantum entanglement, all the things we've talked about. What is this connection between the mother and the son here? You know, is it is a well, physical connection? Is it a is it a material connection? As opposed, again, what is consciousness? So, if you don't know what consciousness is, you can't possibly know what collective consciousness is. So, well, there were some interesting experiments that were done in the uh, very early twentieth century by members of the Society for Psychical Research um, on what were called um, uh, I can't remember exactly it's telepath telepathic uh, transference. Um, and one, one group of researchers would actively think about visiting um, another whom they knew well. So they, they, they would visit 
each other's homes whilst lying in a not a trance-like state but fully relaxed so they would relax in their armchair at home and they would think only about the their their friends um house visiting them at the same time other the other uh, participants of the experiment not fully being aware of when um the first group were actually having these um um, thoughts yep there were several reports of them being aware of the appearance of the apparition of the uh, friend colleague oh, an, ap an apparition an actual physical <clears throat> or, an actual yeah. an actual um visible apparition wow. they would describe uh, you know the the, the, the person end walk in or materialized in the room so um, thought transferences. These experiments in thought transfer clearly um, were demonstrable. If we think about something hard enough, we may actually appear there to somebody else. If there is somebody else there to appear to, I mean, we might do it all the time when we when we think about a or we listen to a particular piece of music that evokes a memory yeah. of an event. You know, lots of people have favorite tune that that really does um invoke memory a, a powerful memory or we think about um a place that we knew well as a child or a place that we visited and have very strong um memories of and i don't just mean i mean memories that, that evoke um right. measurable responses within the brain right we may actually if there was somebody there who was receptive, we may actually appear standing there looking, you know, looking out over the ocean or or wherever we are. Well, this is a skill set, isn't it? I mean, it, it describes itself as a skill set. I mean, like learning to play the piano or who knew that man could fly to the moon, right? If you dedicated enough to it, if you study it enough, if you work on it hard enough, this is a skill set. This is why I believe mediums and a lot of the things we talk about I think people have different antennas and are better at receiving things and better at sending things than others. Because first of all, I think natural ability comes into play. Some are more naturally able than others, and some are more skilled at it. Have just dedicated more effort to it. And inevitably, whenever there's a skill set that may convey an advantage, the military starts to um, get interested in it. And the U.S. government certainly funded experiments in remote viewing. Uh, remote spying would actually be more accurate because what they were doing were they were taking individuals who were particularly good at these um, at this ability to go to imagine themselves somewhere and then to describe what they are seeing when they are there um, and they tried you know um, giving these people coordinates of uh, Russian military bases or Russian establishments that they wanted. To get an inside line on and then these people would describe you know they would imagine themselves at that location um, and it there were some seemingly really quite intriguing results and quite accurate results they started off on a small scale you know um, visiting known sites um, known military sites uh, and known buildings within the usa and then gradually you know, they, they were training this ability this skill set yeah. Um, the Russians also were playing the same game.
and we're told that they discontinued these studies, which is fine. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't, but they didn't, they never discounted these studies. They never discounted this ability. And it never just said it doesn't exist. <coughs> um, they, they have pu publicly stated that they no longer fund these experiments, right. but there are continual rumors leaking out that these experiments are still ongoing. And of course, you know, as with the latest generation of military technology, what we're aware of is probably 20 years behind what the front line are using. So it may well be that they, um, you know, they, they discontinued use of, for example, the SR-71 Blackbird, uh, claiming that, oh, we're going to use satellites. Now, satellites technologically are nowhere near as good because there's a cloud layer in the way the thing can't right. operate effectively. Uh, you want in-atmosphere um, reconnaissance. For, for aerial reconnaissance. So they, they suddenly took these aircraft out of commission and um, replaced it with something. We don't know whether that something was a form of psychic remote viewing or whether we had just developed drone technology to the point where right. they were certainly looking at, at the use of remote spying um, in the 70s, 80s, but were there at now publicly, they're not saying, and publicly they're saying that there is no funding allocated, but there is a huge black budget um, that's being swallowed up somewhere by the uh, Defense Department. Yeah, and we have to right. assume they're not going to tell us everything that's going on. No, and, and we wouldn't expect them to. I right. mean, But we're also, as a species, we may not be at quite at that point of development yet. I mean... We see it athletically all the time. We've been doing sports for centuries in all of our countries, and athletes are getting better and better as it's just more training, more grooming, more knowledge, more uh, yeah. And this would this would apply to this type of uh, modality and this type of endeavor as well, wouldn't it? I mean, people in the 1800s couldn't fly to the moon. They didn't. They weren't ready yet as a species. It would, and I mean, some of the some of the great inventions like like television, radio. Um, they weren't invented by one person in one place. They were uh, when when the when the full stories come out, they're actually find that um, a lot of great inventions happen almost like seeds sprouting up in several different parts of the world. Um, we, yeah, funny in a, in a strangely uh, simultaneous way. I mean, how many times do scientists start a study and they find out somebody else is studying it and they exchange yeah, or whatever? Right. But it just it's happening parallel but in, in a strangely connected way. And, and if we look at the discovery of DNA, uh, the, the double helix was most as famously, um, the image of the double helix and how the DNA strands fitted together came to, came to the, um, uh, the researcher in a dream. Wow, yeah. You know, he, he said he went to bed, he, he'd been working on this problem for months. Now, did his brain change dimensions or, or was it just as simple as going to bed enabled him? I mean, we all know that if you can't think of a name or a date and then you stop thinking about it, it'll come to you. Maybe that was, it was as simple as that, or maybe it came from somewhere else because, you know, there are these simultaneous um, creative uh, seeds that seem to take spread um, in multiple locations at the same time. Some people have said that we're being seeded by aliens. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> you know, but that's, I mean, all of these wacky ideas come about through a lack of understanding. Because we're trying to understand 
what you know what it is that we don't understand yep. and so but don't you uh, find often we're we're hamstrung by the fact that we don't <coughs> like things we don't understand so we come up with theories and put them in a box and wrap a bow around it and we kind of go with that theory not really understanding you know it's like we don't we don't look into anesthesia we don't look into consciousness we don't look into gravity all that deeply because we know we don't understand it we just got to come up with an explanation we can live with and a lot of these explanations we've been doing it for for millennia we call them uh, we now call them folk stories you know when 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 early man looked at the moon and tried to figure out what it was or tried to figure out what these noises were they would come up with folk stories. Oh, it's uh, thunder and lightning is God getting angry and throwing thunderbolts around the place. Yeah. Uh, that God was throwing when that, when they were looking at the, the fact that stones were falling from the sky. I mean, what a bizarre thing that is. Um, you know, science couldn't comprehend the fact that these big lumps of rock were dropping out of a clear blue sky. And yet lumps of rock do fall from it. We, we now know what they are, but back then these, these, uh, lumps of rock were ascribed to gods. Um, but oftentimes so, we, we have a door and we open it and it's dark and we just close the door. We don't go into the room and try to figure it out. You know, again, like consciousness is a great example. We just don't know. Just have no we, idea. But, but there are the vast majority of people, of course, are lazy and will accept the first explanation that comes along because it sounds plausible and because it fits their belief state. Yeah, when yeah, you die, your consciousness dies too. And we, we get great comfort from the fact yes. that when we die, we go and meet our loved ones in some paradise, summerland beyond beyond the world. But where is it? You know, we always point downwards for hell and upwards for heaven. And, you know, if you look up, you can see the stars. And we, you know, I, I we often, uh, you know, third star on the right, you know, that's where mom is. And yeah. But in reality, of course, we know that they're science and we, we, we ourselves know that they're not. They're not floating around in the stars and they're not deeply beneath our feet. But we're trying to verbalize and uh, comprehend what happens after death. We've, we've wrapped ourselves in this comfort blanket, which takes us right the way back to spiritualism and the idea that they have survived as a independent free thinking conscious entity uh, rather than just been absorbed back into the collective bubble or have become food or i figured i don't know who a true attribute this quote is but you find you don't finally die till the last time your name is mentioned right well that's that's a that's, that's a true that's part of the uh well we never we never truly cease to exist because you can't create or destroy um energy yeah well that's one of the things that we don't necessarily understand the effects of so we get uncomfortable at it i mean the big thing back in the uk at the moment is a is these uh, giant seed pods they put your body in it they stick a tree on the top of it and then they dig a big hole and the tree uses you with nutrients and you live on in the tree yeah uh, in the form of a tree or nourishing the tree <laughs> um you know when you're when you're cremated your ashes are scattered it becomes part of the land again and is recycled you know, by, by other creatures, by the planet. Um, there are even cases now where, you know, you, if you've got enough money, you can have your ashes turned into a diamond. That's right. Yeah. Or shot into space. And does your consciousness go with it? To, to any knows? degree. 
some religions have got different takes on it. All right, we've run to the end of our time. It's been fascinating. Always fun to talk to you, Steve. It is. Safe, and safe well travels. Thought. No haunted flights back, please. No haunted. Well, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Combined with planes and ghosts. Yep. What could be better? All right, well, keep your cell phone uh, camera open in case you do see a ghost. It's always the hand. It's got the music player on it. <laughs> All right. Uh, nice to talk to you. Have a safe trip back. Likewise. We'll talk to you next you. time. And I'll catch you in the future. Cheers, Luke. Goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.